Welcome to the Fontenelle Fauna Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. And interesting, we got some rains over the weekend. No, we know it was spotty as some areas didn't receive a drop. Others receiving an inch plus. But anytime you can get moisture heading into the month of August, it's a good thing. We did see some higher numbers taking place in the in the trade. Higher for the corn, the beans, uh, the wheat actually saw some higher numbers as well. And as we quickly flip the page, higher on the livestock. So we're going to take a look at what's been going on in the markets. It's kind of one of those quiet type of, I hate to use that word, but quiet type of feels to the market. As we look at crop condition reports, we've got big report coming out a week from this Thursday. So just buying some time until that becomes available. As Sam Hudson joins us today to give us all the details on the markets. Sam is with Corn Belt Marketing. So Sam, we did finish to an upside on the day. So at least we had some positives for the first trading day of August. Yeah, and we continue to kind of work inside a, a range. You know, if you look at like the 1335 level in the November soybeans uh, and the 535 to 540 area in the December corn have, have you know, seemingly been pretty good support here over the last several weeks. And you got a crop report here coming up on the 12th uh, week from this Thursday. Uh, USDA could offer some yield adjustments there. I think at the end of the day, long term, big picture, you know, this banter about, you know, whether or not we're 175 or 180, I think eventually that's going to you know, yield to what our demand does uh, into the fourth quarter and even the first quarter of next year. I think there's a lot of question marks on what, uh, you know, what China will look like. Will they kind of do a repeat of last year uh, or will we see them, you know, offer a little bit more business to South America if they're looking to expand their acreage? What have you heard? Um, Any early numbers coming out? I know usually about a week out or so we start hearing folks giving their estimates of what they think this report will say. You know, it's it's interesting because you still have the tale of two worlds out here where you have some suggestion that we could still be near or, or slightly above trend uh, because of how good things are in the central and eastern Corn Belt. Um, others, you know, that would argue that it's going to be difficult to even achieve a 175 on this year's corn crop as a national average. And, um, you know, it kind of depends on where you're at, I think, to a certain degree. But uh, these crops up in the Dakotas, uh, western, uh, west central Minnesota specifically, uh, we know they've you know, had issues or, and, and really have been dealing with that all year long, even since May. It seems like we've been talking about that. Uh, and I think when you just add up all the acreage in general and look at what's you know what's possible here, assuming we have you know, good conditions for grain fill, um, you know you get uh, an elongated uh, you know grain fill period, and I think you can really push some of these yields. Uh, so you're in a situation where these bad areas you know can only get so bad. The good areas are getting a little bit better, and it ultimately comes down to are they going to you know snag a few rains for a harvested acre at all, or are we looking at zeroing some of these out and uh, you know in a chopping situation if anything. You know, some of the the videos I saw that came in, you know, late last week over the weekend of areas of of Pierce, South Dakota, for example, and just a little bit south, really are are very disheartening because there's nothing left of these fields. They're already turning brown and some were hoping to maybe chop it to get something for feed for livestock. Yeah, and I, you know, stuff as dry as it is, you, you battle the, you know, the nitrate levels, um, you know, how much uh, forage is even going to be there. And, you know, this is the you know, market's job. I think we're going to see a lot of this reflected in basis. From a future standpoint, we've avoided the worst case scenario uh, in terms of, in my opinion, at least, in, you know, sending corn to $7 a bushel at least, you know, this year. I think it really becomes, you know, what are we going to be dealing with uh, from a carryover standpoint come January, February, March? Uh, and in the meantime, what does you know, domestic cash basis do to kind of level the playing field across the U.S. Uh, as we try to figure out what our export market's going to look like? All right, you brought up basis. Let's. What are your thoughts on what we're going to see in basis numbers? You know, I think that's going to be a similar story. Like we're dealing with this weather. I think in the you know, as you get into the Western Corn Belt out there, I think ethanol margins are still going to be very good. 
uh, as we get into next year, um, you know, how these policy and biofuel, um, you know, attitudes in general are, are, you know, change between now and then, it's hard to say, but, you know, I think the margins are going to be solid and have good footing into next year to begin with, um, but also the feed standpoint for that region. You know, we're going to be sending, uh, you know, a lot of bushels up into the Dakotas, northern plains in general. It's true for, you know, from a corn standpoint, from a hay standpoint, uh, and I think that should continue to help, you know, those basis levels as you get into uh, the first and second quarter of next year. But beyond that, once again, it kind of comes back to what our export program looks like uh, and how aggressive China is going to be with their purchases ahead of a, you know, what looks to be an expanded South American growing season. You know, Sam, a lot of folks wonder, can we meet that demand knowing that that South America obviously has had their troubles as well with crops this year and the appetite that continues globally? Yeah, and that's, you know, a big question mark. And like I said, I think that feeds into that narrative, you know, whether we're a 175 or a 180 national average, you know, if that demand is going to be there again and it's going to be as hefty as it is again, things are going to remain tight into the 2022 growing season. Um, you know, just in a you know sense to keep these acres in production and, and make sure we can meet that need. Uh, if all of a sudden we start to spread some of that out and, and we see what we saw, you know, over the past year take 18 months to develop, um, then we see more of a kind of a leveled off market. And, you know, if we continue to have big yields and expand acres, the price is going to reflect that. What What is the feel as you get a chance to talk to producers, especially in your neck of the woods, where we've heard so much that the eastern corn belt's doing pretty good? What's their feel getting closer to, to harvest in the month of August? Yeah, for us, it's, it's really centering, you know, and surrounding the merchandising standpoint. What are you going to need to get away from the combine and the farm at harvest? Um, because ultimately, you know, there's not going to be space for all that where we're going to see these big yields and those bushels need to find a home and, and kind of, like I said, adjust uh, via domestic basis. And I think that's the first thing. And, I, and we've seen a lot of st- uh, growers step up just in the last two to four weeks with some of these rains swooping through the central corn belt and taking care of a lot of those harvest needs and locking in a, a certain you know, dollar breaker from a revenue standpoint and assuring themselves of that. Whereas, you know, in these other areas, you're kind of looking at three different moving targets. You have price, you know, insurance, and, and then just your yield in general, and then what you think that's going to do along the way. Uh, and it's been a, you know, much more difficult task, I guess, in that scenario. So I think, you know, you're on the front end of trying to figure out just how good or bad it's going to be. And ultimately, it'll be interesting whether the combines get in the field, um, you know, what is that all going to finalize and kind of shake out to look like? And that's when we'll see the true proof in the pudding. Absolutely. You know, and I think that's the point here is in the meantime, how how does the demand side of the coin, you know, uh, you know shift and evolve, you know, good, bad, or ugly in the meantime, you know, between now and then over the next six months. All right. Well, stick around, folks. We've got a lot more coming up on this Monday, first trading day of August in the Fontenelle Final Bell, right here on the Rural Radio Network. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield, continuing our conversation with Sam Hudson. Again, Sam is with Corn Belt Marketing. So we left off talking a little bit about, about the marketing aspect of this crop. And wanted before we go to that, what pressures or what comments are you hearing when it comes to ethanol and wonderings where this corn crop is going to be for them and what demand is with everything being tied up, obviously, in the courts and E15 year-round situation? Yeah, it's definitely a blow to the sentiment in general, just in terms of what we can see over the next three or four years. Um, kind of solidifies the fact that, uh, you know, no matter who's in office, whether it's Democrats or Republicans, there seem to be some sort of a glass ceiling on that market. Um, and when it, you know, we were in a situation where it appeared like it might be difficult to really rebuild our inventories before next year's driving season, we're in a situation now with uh, you know, the signal that waivers could be used, you know, the big uh, you know, the haircut in the RIN market that we've seen. 
And now it appears that we will rebuild those inventories ahead of next year's you know season. And whether or not they have a year round, I don't know if it matters. You know, that was always you know, the E15 argument uh, to me was you know part of that was always going to be some sort of cannibalization of some of our demand anyways, because there's people that are going to use it were the same people using the E85. Uh, and, and I think long term, big picture, you know, we need to see. Uh, some sort of a floor put under the biofuel market just in the sense that we can't really get away from these fossil fuels, uh, but we can't fully transition to any of these green initiatives yet either. So it's going to be caught in the middle. I think we're going to be dealing with this for, you know, many more years. Uh, I think in the meantime, as long as we can keep the integrity uh, of our RFS upheld and keep them from really dismantling that in terms of the mandate, I think that's probably the biggest success at this point. So short term, I think things are you know, pretty positive uh, in terms of how it's going to impact our core market via basis uh, into next year. But what that market looks like come, you know, March, April, May, July, and next year is anyone's guess. Uh, it, we'll see if the Biden administration wants to make any sweeping changes there first. My gut, my gut is that they punt. <laughs> it appears that's what we're seeing so far. That's been kind of the feel from everybody at this point, too. Well, hopefully their, their punting yep. makes some, some good progress for our grain guys. And speaking of grain, as we switch over to the livestock side, uh, feed variables. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff hanging out in the out on the limb, too, wondering for our livestock producers as they watch this market. Yeah, there are. And that DDG is you know, definitely uh, you know, a variable that fits right in with that. I think the feeder cattle market is going to be you know, kind of back and forth. Uh, you know, one of the challenges we've seen is a reluctance um, or a concern about a lot of these producers out west replacing their animals. Uh, obviously comes at a decent size, you know, cost, but, uh, you know, just the cost of feed them and trying to figure out what those plans look like for the next 12 to 18 months is something that's really in the market right now. So um, I think you're going to see things well supported in the meantime, though, at the, you know, the cash level. I think as you get into, you know, the first part of next year, it's going to be a little bit more difficult to figure out where the fair value is in these livestock markets. And when you look at live cattle, uh, beef prices starting to recover. It seems like we've seen a seasonal low there. Um, I think the packer can still, you know, afford to pay more, uh, you know, but we've got the numbers. So we're stuck in this um, back and forth, you know, impact or effect where you've got a 125 to 132 market that's probably pretty fairly priced. And until we get into next year and see what those export markets want to do uh, and what China's sentiment is, uh, you know, as a hedger, you know, those low to mid 130 seems like a pretty fair price to be hedging. So can we say that we're really starting to ramp up? I mean, we're now into August. Are we getting some Labor Day excitement starting to build for these proteins? Um, you know, I think so. You know, like I said, the export market's going to be a big part of that. I think ASF, uh, you know, kind of come into the woodwork here around the edges. Um, you know, we'll see if anything there takes hold. But as far as, you know, the market recovery and, and you know, how solid it is in general, I think is, you know, we're showing some pretty positive signs here. I think the biggest, uh, biggest threat would still be any sort of uh, you know, shutdowns from COVID or something like that here coming into the end of the year with cold and flu season going again. But uh, I would wager we'd probably avoid that too. Well, hopefully with kids going back to school, uh, kids heading back to college, we're going to see maybe some protein pickups with, with school lunches and cafeteria food for our college kids. Yeah, and, and as much as it's just the transition, um, you know, going back to that institutional you know supply chain, what does that look like as the schools get going and, and just, uh, you know, public and, and, you know, gatherings in general. I find it interesting, you know, for, for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about how the South has an abundance amount of cattle, and we saw a lot of them being shipped to the North. And I was reading this morning that show lists are seem to be smaller for Texas, but maybe a little bit higher for Nebraska, Colorado. Yeah, and it seems like, uh, you know, this this shift for over the last four or five years to, you know, these drought and tough conditions, uh, you know, pasture ground and rangeland and stuff like that, 
you know, from the central and southern plains to the northern plains, and it's like we're doing a switcheroo now. So market's trying to figure out what to do with that uh, amidst all the supply chain, you know, havoc, too, on top of that. So it'll be interesting to see how we normalize. It seems like uh, the ones in the middle sometimes benefit from that transition cycle, and I think that's probably the case, at least for now. All right. What else are you looking forward to on, the, on these markets as we hit the month of August? Uh, honestly, not much. I think that would be, you know, what I would look for initially here. I think we're trying to figure out where USDA is going to reset the table here on the 12th. Uh, and I think it's definitely going to be more important about where we're trading here in three weeks than we are today, uh, especially when you look at the grain side of things. We've seen a pretty lengthy time in this consolidation phase. So, uh, you know, which way we break out of that, I think I would respect price action. All right. Sounds good. Best way for folks to get a hold of you, Sam? 800-655-3380 or www.formatmarketing.com. And that's a Fontenelle final bell. Just a reminder, commodity futures and options involve substantial risk of loss, not suitable to all investors. The Fontenelle final bell on the Rural Radio Network.